Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. God's word for us today on this Pentecost Sunday shows us two scenes, two historical events separated by time but connected in amazing ways. First, today we hear about the Tower of Babel. And this is not some origin myth, as some secular scholars love to surmise, a made-up story about how the world got its religion, or excuse me, languages. This event, rather, from Scripture provides us the answer, the real answer to uh, a question that even those same scholars can't truly provide, which is how it is that people were scattered all over the earth with languages that don't have any seeming commonality. The Tower of Babel happens after the flood, the great flood, after the clans of the sons of Noah grew into their own nations. But instead of going out and filling the whole earth, being fruitful and multiplying as God had directed them to do, instead they stayed together. And they settled in a plain, a plain of Shinar, which is in modern-day Iraq, the same place where the Babylonian Empire would later arise. And so there's a connection between that name Babel and Babylon. Then one day, those people, they all had a great idea. They would build a city and build a great tower that would ascend into the heavens, bring them to God's place. And so instead of living faithfully in the promises that God had made to them through their ancestor Noah, they would take it upon themselves to displace God and to make a great name for themselves. So what does God do? How does he respond? Well, the triune God descends, speaking in that plural we, the majestic we. He says, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And the Lord disperses them over the face of the earth and that city and the tower they were abandoned. Now, many people point to this action of God as an act of judgment, and it was. The people were not obeying God's will, which was meant to be full of blessing and goodness for them, but instead they were pursuing their own destructive way, and so God righteously judges that action. But in another sense, by not allowing them to succeed in their attempt to live without him, God's action is also merciful and gracious. It is a call to repentance, to turn back and to find him again. The resulting effect, though, is clear. God descended. He dispersed the people. He confused the languages. And the people stood in condemnation. What we hear then in the book of Acts is the second of our two scenes, these two historical events. One is, this one is thousands of years then after Babel. And so what do we see? Well, we see the anti-Babel. Again, the triune God is descending, but, but this time he is gathering his people. He is miraculously making sense of all the different languages, and by doing so, he is proclaiming the salvation one for each of them in Jesus Christ. You see, on Pentecost, God is overturning Babel, 
And so I'd like to take each one of those three actions one by one. First, God overturns Babel by gathering his people in. Remember, it was at the tower that the people were dispersed, but here on Pentecost, they are gathered together. Pentecost was one of the three major feast festivals in Israel. It is also known as the Feast of Weeks, but you see it lands right uh, 50 days after the previous festival, after Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 50 days. So it was also called Pentecost, based on the Greek word for 50. But Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, in addition to the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Booths, that's the other third one, Well, these were the three major festivals that required, uh, from the book of Deuteronomy, from the law of Moses, the attendance of all the the Jewish males. So no matter where they lived in the world, they were required to travel back to Jerusalem for these three events. And so that means that the city of Jerusalem would have been filled to the brim. It had been filled to the brim at the Passover when Jesus accomplished the most significant moments in all of human history at his cross and at his empty tomb. But now again, the city was filled to the brim 50 days later at Pentecost. And so God was gathering the people, and this was more than just for a celebration of the Feast of Weeks. He was bringing his people in, scattered as they may have been, from different tribes, from different languages, from different nations, and they were all there to witness God at work, the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is gathering his Old Testament church so that they may begin to hear the mighty works of God. The second way that God is overturning Babel is to use that wide variety of languages to unite instead of divide. Remember, the confusion of languages from God was to thwart the efforts of man in in displacing God and making a name for themselves. So now here was God using that confusion of languages, now serving his saving purposes. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, to speak in other languages. And the author of the book of Acts, Luke, he's very clear. These uh, disciples, they were not babbling some gibberish. They were proclaiming very clearly to the crowds the mighty works of God, he says in those people's native languages. You know, there are Christians today, usually the ones who derive their name from the event of Pentecost, and they use this event in Acts chapter 2 as the chief prescription for their theology. That is, that God desires all of us Christians to, to speak in tongues, to have this event, in order to demonstrate, and this is key, in order to demonstrate that we have faith. They will say that speaking in tongues is a requirement not just for some, but for all. They say that's how you know, that's how you can be certain that you do in fact have the Holy Spirit, that you have this ecstatic moment where you babble in a, in a so-called angelic language and then you use that as a marker that you are in fact a Christian. But that's quite, that's quite off target when you think about it. When the Bible talks about speaking in tongues, it's always in reference to speaking in an earthly language. 
And that purpose of that language, as we see in Acts chapter 2, and as the Apostle Paul will talk about later in 1 Corinthians 14, is to build up the church by proclaiming the gospel in the languages of the earth. In fact, later on, the Apostle Paul says that if you have the gift of tongues, unless someone is there among you who knows what language you're speaking, then you don't say anything at all, because it's not fruitful. Is not fruitful for building up the church in the gospel. Speaking in tongues means sharing the gospel in a language that someone can understand. Now, people might have the gift of tongues miraculously. The Holy Spirit can do that, as we clearly see in the early church. But, but I would say it's much more likely that people will simply be gifted by God in being able to learn and speak in other languages. For instance, Paul said, again in 1 Corinthians 14, that he had the gift of tongues because he could speak multiple languages, which allowed him then to share the gospel with all the people that he met in all of his travels and journeys. And that's the point. The miracle on Pentecost was undoing Babel because the language confusion at Babel had not only caused division between one person and another, but also division between us and God. But you see, that division was being broken down by the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, people were hearing and receiving for themselves in their own native languages the mighty works of God. And that brings us to the third way that we see God undoing Babel, that Pentecost is the anti-Babel, and that's because the gospel was preached And the Holy Spirit worked saving faith in the hearts and minds of the people. Again, there are Christians who claim to be all about the Holy Spirit, but then they reject the means by which he's chosen to work. For instance, they reject water baptism as God's chosen means of grace to work the miracle of faith within us. Instead, some of these Christians will insist on a so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is not by water, but rather, again, in this some kind of ecstatic emotional experience where you feel the Holy Spirit, and that somehow confirms you're a Christian. But these people fail to realize that the descending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost led led those people to hear all that Jesus Christ had done for them over the past three years, all that he accomplished for their salvation, all that Jesus had done at the cross and at his resurrection. And it was moving these people by the power of the Holy Spirit to to be convicted of their sins. And these people asked Peter and all the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? In other words, what's the next step? And we'll hear this in our reading next week on Holy Trinity Sunday, which is when we hear the conclusion to Pentecost. But here's what Peter says. Peter doesn't say, well, have some kind of ecstatic moment in the Holy Spirit to receive the Holy Spirit. No, Peter says to the crowds on Pentecost, repent and be baptized, water baptism, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the people were water baptized, 3,000 of them that day. And God gifted to each and every one of them faith to receive that 
gift of baptism, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that worked the miracle of faith within them. They believed and trusted in Jesus. They were forgiven of all of their sins. God was undoing Babel at Pentecost because instead of pronouncing righteous judgment upon the sins of mankind for our own self-centered efforts, God was fulfilling that day his promises of salvation based on the efforts of Jesus Christ for our sake and for the sake of every person in this world. You see, God undid Babel by descending, by gathering his people, by making sense of the confusion of languages, and by proclaiming the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ for all who are baptized and believe. But I think there's still one more question for us today, and that is, does Pentecost still matter? Does God undoing Babel have any implications for us today? Well, to answer that question, let me pose another question. What was the real miracle at Pentecost? Now, some will say that the real miracle was the tongues of fire or the speaking of languages. And no doubt about it, those were miraculous. But if you say that those were the real miracle, well, then you might run the risk of missing the whole purpose of Pentecost. The the purpose of Pentecost, the need for Pentecost, was shown to us thousands of years ago at Babel. We see our need when we look at the fall in the garden or uh, mankind's actions at the Tower of Babel. And what we see is that mankind's efforts only succeed in delivering us into trouble, deadly trouble, uh, eternally condemning trouble. And what Eden and Babel show us is that the only possible way for us to be saved is not by our efforts, but it is only if God decides to have mercy and grace upon us. And so that's exactly what God is showing at Pentecost. And this, then, is the true miracle. The the, the signs are miraculous, but the signs are not the reason for Pentecost. The signs served a purpose. They were pointing forward to something. Their purpose was to point forward people to the true miracle, which is faith. Faith created by the working of the Holy Spirit through baptism for 3,000 people that day and more and more each day after that. People who were able to have faith and believe in Jesus Christ, all that he had done for them by his life, death, and resurrection so that their sins might be forgiven. And so I had asked, does Pentecost still matter today? Well, today we recognize that we are still the same recipients of that same miracle of faith. In other words, I know that by my baptism, the Holy Spirit has entered my heart, has created saving faith within me, has forgiven me all of my sins, and now I stand as a redeemed child of God, cleansed of all my unrighteousness, not because of what I have done, but because of what Christ has done for me. And you see, this miracle, this Pentecost miracle, is yours as well. Pentecost is indeed the anti-Babel, and it still is for us today. We confess in the small catechism that the Holy Spirit, who has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, 
sanctified and kept me in the true faith is the same Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. In other words, what we are confessing is that the Holy Spirit, who has worked such miraculous things throughout the history of the whole world, is the same Holy Spirit who is not only doing miraculous things in my life now, but is still very much at work in his church today and forever will be. Wherever you see the assembly of the faithful gathering together as we do this morning, hearing the gospel in our native language, well, the Holy Spirit is there at work. Whenever you show the love of God with others through your own service toward a neighbor, the Holy Spirit is there at work. Whenever you share the name of Christ in a language that someone can understand, the Holy Spirit is there at work. Whenever you ask God for help and direction in your life, the Holy Spirit is there at work. Whenever you turn to God in repentance for your sins and confess your need of his forgiveness, the Holy Spirit is there at work. And on the day when you stand in glory before the throne of the Lamb, as he gathers all his people in the new heavens and the new earth, the Holy Spirit will be there at your side, at work, as he brings you, his redeemed child, into eternal life. Today, take some time to look backwards throughout history, all the way back to Babel, if you like. And see how our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has worked through the events of this world in order to bring about our salvation. But then, take the time to also look forward into our present and into our future. And see how the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is still at work doing miraculous things until the day when we see him face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.